0: Embark on a journey of faith, fellowship and discovery with Vision Tours as you experience Australia's rich Christian heritage firsthand. Visit Christian heritage sites and museums in Sydney and across the Blue Mountains on this 10-day tour. Understand the people and events that shaped the fledgling colony with Outback historian Dr. Paul Rowe. Join like-minded people this November with Vision Tours. See tour dates, highlights and inclusions at vision.org.au slash tours.
1: Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision.
2: Unpacking Christianity. And for people in church, connecting with their wider community has been traditionally, there's this expectation, isn't there, that ordinary people that we might talk to at least know something about Christianity. Well, our special guest today has identified some essential items that we ought to know. And in the sense of what we might carry in a backpack, packing for our adventure, trek, our journey with Christ. And so we'll talk about all sorts of things like food and emergency communication and shelter. It'll make sense as we get our conversation underway. But the latest developments and the findings of the latest census might indicate that fewer and fewer people in our community, and it may even be, People in our local church even know the basic things about our Christian faith. The official figures show now that only 44% of Australians identify as Christian. So what does it mean if people don't know much about Christianity anymore? And what does it say about how churches have to think about maybe changing the way we teach? Well, our special guest today has been focusing his expertise on what we need to teach new Christians, perhaps who know nothing about Christianity. Dr. Andrew Corbett, he's pastor at Lagana Christian Church in northern Tasmania, just 15 minutes north of Launceston. He's the author of several books and is the National President of ICI Theological College Australia, a theological distance education provider. Andrew, a special welcome along to 2020.
3: Great to be with you, Neil. Normally we're 3,000 miles apart when we're we're doing these, so it's great to be
2: in studio with you now. Andrew, uh, there you are in Lagana. Give us a little uh, insight. Uh, we've had you on lots of times, mm. talking at, at different points, mm. and uh, and people might be saying, "Well, what is there in
3: Lagana, just yeah.
2: north of Launceston? That's right. Describe yeah. your community so, for
3: us. Lagana was always an apple-growing territory, and of course, Tasmania was known as the Apple Isle. And one of the there's there's two sort of hotspots where that happened. It happened right down south, in what's called the Huon. Valley, and then up north in the Tamar Valley, and Lagana is in the Tamar Valley, and it was um, hundreds and hundreds of acres of apple trees, and when I came there, I think there was about 600 acres of uh, apples growing there, and Lagana is the Aboriginal word that means fresh water, and so Tasmania is, in the, if you think of it, in the shape of a heart, and where the cleavage comes down, about halfway down that cleavage. Uh, the water becomes fresh, and that's where Lagana is. A lot of people might not know, but in Tasmania, there's some wonderful,
2: rich, vibrant Christian communities, mm. and uh, you're in one of those mm. communities, and you're leading a vibrant church. And you know, the times we have spoken about some of the creative ways that you're presenting Bible teaching, mm. it just indicates to me that there's uh, must be a real vibrancy there where you are.
3: Yeah, and I think that was borne out too, Neil. In just at the end of May, we were a part of the Will Graham celebration in Tasmania. Mania, where we we ran we were part of uh, the coming together of some 70 churches in Launceston there was about 40 churches in Hobart that came together and so my wife and I played a, a role in making that happen around our state and we saw in Hobart I think there was uh, 221 responses which the Billy Graham Association said was a record as far as the number of attendees and the number of respondents so it does tell me that there is a there is an openness there is an openness when the gospels presented clearly in Launceston we had uh, 538 responses and uh, 269 first time decisions or so And so it's uh yeah there, there is there, there does seem to be still uh hunger to 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 I think to engage with spiritual things and I think this is something that a lot of people you know you mentioned the census before the the census might trick people into thinking that Australians are less religious when in fact they may actually be more spiritual now than at any other time in history. This spirituality, we can talk about that, uh, but when we do
2: uh, reflect on those numbers, it's a little bit of a contrast because... I hear lots of stories, as you're indicating, Mm. where there really is a vibrancy, and there's a growth, and there's an interest in spirituality, and Mm. people are responding, people are coming to churches. Mm. It's not the same for every church, Mm -hmm. but this contrast that we get with the census numbers, Mm. numbers dropping down to Mm. 44% of Australians who are saying uh, we'll identify as Christian, sometimes there's, you know, it seems a little inconsistent when the numbers seem to be dropping officially, Mm. but... There's still a lot of vibrant communities growing
3: wonderfully. Yeah, it's it's worth remembering that we're talking about percentages, not numbers. And uh, Arch, former Archbishop of Sydney Peter Jensen made the made this point that when you when you're talking about seventy percent of Australians identifying as Christians back in the 1950s, when the Australian population was around six to eight million people, that means you've got between three to or, or, or five million or so, four to five million people identifying as christians but here we are with 25 million people and we've got 44 percent. i mean we do the numbers and we suddenly realize the the number of christians has more than doubled over the, the past 50 to 60 years or so what we do have and, and peter jensen made this point is that we've we've had a large immigration intake which again Neil, I, I actually see this as a positive thing because uh i've been to parts of the world where it's where you have to go in don't have a bible packed in your case uh, I go in, you know, I won't broadcast how I go in But I go in and I'm, I'm going into these, you know, underground churches Into places that are very, very difficult to get into But now those people are coming in droves to Australia So in fact, this is why I think that we, we can look at this And with great positivity realise the world's mission field has come to our doorstep and we've opened the door and let them in. I actually think there's great scope here for the church to advance even in to that that you know, uh, was it 56% of the population that identify with something else. So you've got this migrant number growing, mm. and a lot of
2: those are not coming from Christian mm. countries. Almost so certainly none, correct. That's yeah. right, yeah. And so you've also got this rise of people who are ticking the no religion box, and yep. so therefore either divorcing themselves from religiosity, Mm. uh, perhaps, as some say, maybe not necessarily from spirituality, Mm. and that's a different way to to define those things. But here we have this dilemma. Mm. Uh, You keep on doing what you've always done, assuming that people have some sort of idea Mm. about Christian faith, or are you saying the light should go on here? Maybe Mm. it's a warning light that Mm. says lots of people in our communities have no idea
3: about Mm. Christianity. Yeah, and and that's it. That's exactly right. And I I met with someone last week who said that they were now a a nun, essentially, an N-O-N-E. And that's 39% of Australians now identifying. uh, Just 10 years ago, that was 22%. Now it's nearly doubled, 39%. And this person told me that they had been a part of a church and for whatever reason... They had become disillusioned with church and they felt quite hurt because of the way they were treated. That's, you know, another issue, but they'd stopped going. But then they said this to me, but I have not given up my faith in God. I do I continue to believe that I'm a sinner saved by grace, saved by Christ, but I do not call myself a Christian anymore. And I found that quite intriguing and I wonder how often that scenario is replicated
2: now. There is some research too, uh, just talking about this week on the radio, uh, where people are reluctant or wanting to hide uh, both their political and their religious beliefs Mm. for fear of cancel culture. That's another whole dimension that's in there. But people are... Oftentimes, very guarded about their spirituality. Yes. But being guarded and then separating yourself from the body of mm. believers that we call the church, mm. uh, that's another issue. Mm. And uh, for people who are worried about that uh, or wondering about how that all should fit, I think that's going to come out in our conversation today because mm. I want to just change tack a little bit and talk about one of your passions. Mm-hmm. And that is going on a hike or a trek, mm. uh, the adventure that you do when you're mm. out in the wilderness. And mm. and so while I was asking you about you know what's home like for you uh, in, in your hometown and uh, you know in the Tasmanian area, sometimes we think about Tasmania as a wonderful wilderness area mm. and people who are going on a trek or a mm. hike. Give us your impression here about your passion for hiking.
3: Yeah, well, <laughs> um, I'm a husband. And uh, that, that, that's about the, that, that, that right there sums up my passion for hiking because my wife has walked almost the entire length end of Tasmania, except for about five kilometers or so there's a there's a little stretch up in the north that she wants to do just to say she's done it, but literally walked from north to south and literally walked from east to west, or uh, west to east, rather there are, there are parts of Tasmania that are so remote they are so you know there's a, a great portion of the 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 landscape of Tasmania is still unexplored and that's because the wilderness is so uh, rough and it's so hard to get into the two of the the treks that we've done were uh, respectively a 5 and a 7 day trek you get dropped off by small aircraft. It's the only way you can get in to what is essentially a landing strip carved out in the wilderness. And all it does is it drops bunnies like me and my wife off who then will spend the next five to seven days walking out. And that includes packing everything you need in your pack uh, to, to survive the journey. And at one point, Neil... My, if my wife was here, she would she would tell you of the time when I I stepped into a sinkhole uh, of mud up to my chest, and I didn't know where bottom was, <laughs> and uh, I thought uh, we, were, we were with one other companion, and and he's trying to rescue me. And my wife says, "No, no, no, don't, don't, quick, get the camera out of your pack. Let's see what happens." <laughs> I was like, "Oh man!" So yes, the trekking uh, is. I wouldn't call it my passion, but I would call my marriage my passion, and this is what I was doing. To satisfy my wife's (laughs) desire to do these walks, but but what it pointed out was, you actually have to have the right kit, you have to have the right gear, you have to have the right things in your pack to make a journey like that, and that's when I started to reflect. You know what the Christian life is like. This you actually, I think a lot of people start out on the journey. And they don't have the right things in their pack, and someone comes along with a very simple question about, you know, how can there be a good God if there's evil in the world? And it rocks their faith, and it shouldn't, because you should be able to go into your pack and go, well, like you know, I can deal with that. And these are some of the issues that I think I've been thinking about. We we need to be able to, to respond, and I think the the census figure shows us if if less people proportionally are saying they're Christian. It doesn't surprise us because we've long known that the number of nominal Christians compared to authentic, genuine Christians, there's a, bit of, there's a bit of daylight between them. But it does show that we need to do a better job as pastors and church leaders in helping people to know what the journey is actually going to look like and what they need in their pack. What the journey actually looks like and what you need in your pack. So
2: we're on a journey as Christian believers, uh, a little bit like an adventure or a trek. And you've got your backpack, Andrew, uh, and it's got three essential Mm. ingredients in there. The inexhaustible food supply, Mm -hmm. your emergency communication system, and your shelter, Mm. and we'll work our way through some of those. But what if we start with the thought that there might be three things that you need to have in your backpack? Mm. And for every Christian believer, whether we're just a new starter or whether we've been on this trek, on this journey for uh, years and years of our lives, uh, this is important for every Mm. one of us, making sure we've got the right things in the backpack, because Mm. if you don't, you may not survive. Yeah, And
3: and how to use them. And this is where when some of these walks we've taken an emergency beacon and Neil I'll tell you now I, I, I've never used it and I'm, and, and upon reflection I, I brought one back and you hire them and then you give it back and it occurred to me as I was, I was returning I thought actually I wouldn't have known how to use it anyway in which case what was the point in carrying something in your pack especially when you're carrying it for five to seven days and you didn't actually know how to use it and this is where we need to know the three the three essential things that are necessary, I think, to put in your pack are going to make the difference between completing the journey as a delightful journey, enjoying the scenery along the way, or actually finding the whole thing frustrating, a drudge and hard. And this is where I think a lot of Christians are told... You know, you've got to read your Bible, you've got to pray, and you've got to go to church. And it becomes, a, if it becomes a duty, it becomes a drudge very soon. And this is where, if we can pack those three things, and before we pack them, let's take them out of the pack, or let's let's have a look at them, and let me let let's have a look at how these things actually work and the, why they are essential to the journey to make it a delight life culture and current events from a biblical perspective this is 2020 with neil johnson on vision christian
2: radio our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316 our special guest is dr andrew corbett he's pastor at lagana christian church in northern tasmania we're talking about the essential items that you might include in a backpack If you're on a trek, on a journey, and how that might be really very closely aligned to the sorts of things we might need on a walk in Christ, those things you might need to survive. Andrew, let's talk about survival and what you have in your backpack. Mm. Start with uh, the first one, that uh, you know—that inexhaustible food supply, yeah. Yeah. the Bible. We yeah. need to have the Bible, not mm. just on the shelf or mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, it's an app on your phone. Mm-hmm. We we need something a little bit more substantial that's right. consuming it.
3: Yeah, that's right. And and that's why I would say the first thing you put into your Christian backpack to to go on this Christian trek, this Christian journey, is the Bible. And to do that... We would uh, take take this Bible And this is what I actually do With a brand new Christian And this is one of the reasons I think this is necessary now, Neil Is that because the census Just simply confirms what our gut is telling us That a lot of people actually don't know What Christianity is about They perhaps, you know 20, 30, 40 years ago They may have gone to church And it was a, it was a duty they did But now we're talking about we we actually have to show people what the very foundational um, essence of Christianity is, and it starts with the Bible. The Bible is a book, and the first thing I would say to to anyone is that it's divided into two sections called covenants, or actually, when you record a covenant, it's called a testament. So you would we in today's culture we might be aware of a last will and testament. That's the instructions that you give to a lawyer or whoever upon your death. This is how my will is to be carried out. You know, the children get nothing. Um, um, Vision Christian media gets everything. You know, that kind of will, that kind of testament. And uh, in the Christian Bible, we have the Old Testament, 39 books. And then we have this, the second half, which is the New Testament, 27 books. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, points to Jesus, the New covenant, the New Testament, uh, tells us about Jesus and what he taught, and what he taught the disciples to teach all disciples about what it means to follow Christ. So that's the very first thing I think we need to understand.
2: Let's take a call. Gordon is in Geraldton in WA. Hi, Gordon. Welcome.
1: Hi, fellas. How are you going?
2: Very well, Gordon. What are your thoughts?
1: Uh, well, I'm... Um I'm on the journey with you, and uh, in 2018, I went to New Zealand and to the Southern Alps and caught up with a couple of Kiwis over there. We went on a a three-day deer hunt off the grid, so to speak, and um, the guys I I was with were used to the terrain, but I wasn't coming from Geraldton, so it was a challenge, but um, one of the things that they were very gracious with was allowing me to take a spell um, whenever I needed to I was carrying weight I had a rifle and we were in very um, up and down terrain fording brooks they call them over there creeks some of them were flowing pretty swiftly so yeah it was um, <clears throat> it was like nothing I'd ever done before so they could see that at certain times my fitness level was probably been challenged so they slowed down and let me have a spell so this whole thing about the journey is really important that we come into the opportunities to take a rest have a spell and to um yes um
2: Gordon, what a wonderful analogy you're mm. just aligning here mm-hmm. as we're talking about this trek, because not everybody is an experienced mountain climber mm. trekker mm. Uh, in the way that Gordon's saying. Hey, mm. he, he's from Geraldton. Yeah. Uh, they don't have mountains like that <laughs> in Geraldton. Right. Yeah, so, I've been
3: I've been to Geraldton, and it ain't nothing like the mountains of New Zealand. Let me tell you, Gordon. So thank you, and that's a great point, point. And, and and it actually raises the issue that the journey is marked as we read. God's word as we see God's word it's actually marked by this thing called Sabbath you know in the sense of taking a rest and one of the interesting things about our culture at the moment the more we move away from the Bible the the less people are putting into practice the principles of God's word which includes Sabbath just taking a rest in fact uh, arguably we uh, if you ask people what their energy levels are at generally that they're going to say pretty low and one of the things about the walk with Christ is that we need to take time out to rest, refresh, to worship. It's absolutely essential to the journey. That's a great point, Gordon, and I think we also need to to recognize that, you know, there are some people who who can grasp things quickly, but there are there are people who need just take take your time and let's be patient with people. This is a long journey, not a not a sprint.
2: Gordon, I think <laughs> You're you're also indicating that the people that you were trekking with uh, were very gracious, recognizing that you were not as fit for the journey as they were, and so uh, they were happy to be gracious to you and to uh, to even the, even themselves slow down a little and 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 be a, a waiting for you. Is that the sort of feeling you got from your friends?
1: Most definitely, uh, I was I was pretty green in the experience, so. They had a lot of chuckles with me early on because I didn't want to get my shoes wet and I took them off when we went across creeks. They just walked straight through. They let the water pump out of their shoes as we walked further on. It was a whole new experience because um, I just wasn't used to the way Kiwis hunt and the way we do it in Australia is a lot different to the way they do it. So this whole journey was an eye-opener for me. I was challenged and right at the the very edge of, I was outside of my comfort zone for sure, so it was, <clears throat> you know, a really uh, a great experience for me at the time um, you know, the first night and the, and the next day I was sore you know, sleeping on rocks on a thin mattress, doing all this sort of stuff, cold wet um, so right outside my comfort zone but looking back on it it was, you know, a really good experience the thing about rest also, I'd just like to add, is that the idea of Sabbath is, is really important, but uh, we enter into rest on a daily, um, as a daily habit. Now, Hebrews 3 and 4 tells us that if we're going to be afraid of anything, because normally in the context of the Bible, fear, we are told to fear not, but if we are to fear anything, and that is to not enter into God's rest. So he's telling us in Hebrews 3 and 4 and Psalm 95 that rest is really important. This should be our default position as Christians, we should be entered into his rest so that we have a, um, uh, this um, thing where we actually apportion time to coming into rest. We become intentional about entering his rest and staying in there as a daily habit, as a daily default position. And then we can come into a place of focus in that where he becomes our source. Mm.
2: He becomes our renewal. Gordon, uh, you're making some pretty fabulous points here uh, around issues to do with rest. Uh, Oftentimes, it's the issues to do with getting everyone motivated to climb the next mountain. But, uh, Gordon, I want to thank you so much for your call. Uh, great insights there. Talk back line open on 1 800 316 316. Just to reflect back uh, on the thought of graciousness, uh, because in every church there are those who are wanting to run. Mm. And There are those who are wanting to uh, walk casually, mm. uh, some of yeah. them, or wanting to stay in a permanent yeah.
3: place of rest, and that's where we, we will get to the third thing that you need to pack, um, because it's, it's made a great point. And Gordon's absolutely right. We, when we enter into Christ, we enter into the fulfilment of what the Sabbath was all about, and what what uh, I'm also referring to is that there is a celebration of that, which happens, you know, um, every for most Christians every Sunday.
2: Let's take another call. Keith is in Townsville in North Queensland. Hi Keith, welcome along. Yes. Keith, what are your thoughts? I was just going back on the uh on your um census with the Christian followers in Australia. Yep. And I I was just wondering maybe um people that claim no religion maybe they're more in the line of um being Quakers. They just don't know it. You're talking about people who uh, would divorce themselves from the political uh, side of things. Is that the sort of thought you've got there? Yeah, yeah, and not, not needing a um, church to follow Christ. Uh, well, that, that was my understanding of a Quaker, but mate, but following the spirit of. Yep. Christianity, yeah? Uh, well, it's a little off course of where we're talking, but mm. have you got a mm. thought at all or two for uh, for Keith?
3: Uh, yeah, Keith, the, the Quakers are not one-size-fits-all, and you have some Quaker movements, um, and they're known as Friends, and where I come from in Tasmania, they actually run a, a very a prestigious school down in Hobart called Friends, and um, one of my really good friends is a, a Quaker who pastors a, a church, and so, yeah, it, it, it can look like that, but it's not necessarily like that. And I think the the, the, the nuns are, are clearly people, I think the vast majority now, people are saying, look, I'm not, I'm not going to call myself anything. The point that we made before is that it doesn't mean they're not spiritual. It doesn't mean that they don't have... A belief in something that's beyond what you can see, touch, taste, or feel. So that that's all. That's a point that we would agree with, Keith. So. Keith, thank you so much for your call. Uh, we're just a couple of
2: minutes out from news. Uh, we'll take another call. Well, let's take another call before news. Cindy is in Benalla, in Victoria. Hello, Cindy. Hello, Cindy. Hello, Cindy. What are your um, thoughts?
4: I, I heard you mention the Sabbath day and, and the day of rest. Now, I've got two points here. Um, one, one of my close, uh, friends, they only get one day a week off because their work is like so many hours and so many days. They're just only one day and it's not on a Sunday or a Saturday. It's on a Monday. So they can't go to church. So that's, that's, they they don't even get much sleep because they're just so busy catching up on the things when they do get home. So there's lack of rest plus which day do you choose and how do you get to church anyway. Uh, There's that one. Then there's the Sabbath because I came from a Lutheran church from being little, managed to take me there. And then I went over to the um, Assembly of God, which is good, Pentecostal, all that, Um, full teaching, and it was close to the, the, the... what I'd already learnt and then I've been in the, now this is where the Sabbath comes in (laughs) Seventh Day Adventist Church I've always always said to people Seventh Day Adventist isn't the Jehovah's Witness because because it's such a tongue twister, they're a vegetarian church that worship on Saturday I was talking to my Lutheran friend and looking deeper into it I've been in there for 20 years, you know, on and off. I'm not a regular, but, you know, they're very helpful, very kind. And re- Cindy, and I don't like to
2: cut you short, but we've got to go to yeah. news. And uh, we might be able to pick up on this after news very briefly. But uh, the thought that sometimes business runs a seven-day roster now and not everyone can get to church on Sunday, uh, oftentimes it's a matter of finding somewhere you can fellowship during the week. Uh, on the whole issue of uh, whether or not the Sabbath is a Saturday, if you're talking through those sorts of things, uh, well we might touch on that but I often will say if it was good enough for Jesus' disciples to worship on Sunday then it
3: ought to be good enough for us too. Cindy, thank you for your comments and Benella is a, has a, a very soft spot for me. I'm I, uh, good friends with Daryl Marshall who is the Assemblies of God pastor there in Benella so uh, it's a beautiful part of the world. You, you're first, you comment about people who work on Sunday for whatever reason. I was r- reminded of uh, Dr. John Stott, who said that in order for the Sabbath principle to be functional in today's age, you have to have R-E-S-T. Now, what he meant by R-E-S-T was there has to be some form of breaking from the normal routine of work but that could, that could and in fact, he encouraged, he said, it should be a part of our recreation. There still had to be E for emergency services. So we want the fire, we want the police, we want the ambulance and so on. And then he said there has to still be S for services, which includes electricity. I mean, we don't want our electricity shut off, you know, one minute past midnight Sunday morning. Uh, there still has to be people who are generating, you know, doing those services, water, gas, electricity, and so on, and then transport, and uh, that's public transport, taxis, and and, and the like, and not, and those are the things, REST, that help to make our society functional and work around Sabbath. The principle would still be the same, I think, where we're talking about taking time out to do those things, to be, to to rest, and to do something beyond the normal routine of work. Your other point about not being able to have you know someone like that be able to connect in with church, there are other creative ways to still be engaged with a, a Christian community, and I'll talk about that in, in just a moment. I think the other point that, that Neil just touched on before was that, that the, the, the reason uh, Christians have long used Sunday as the day of uh, rest and Sabbath and so on is because obviously that's the day Christ rose from the dead. It's it is called the first day of the week. It marks a new beginning. Number one, you know, first day, and so on. It's addressed by Paul in First Corinthians chapter sixteen one. He says, "When you gather on the first day of the week, and so on." That's the Christian tradition. I have many good uh, friends who are Seventh Day Adventists, and like I have many good friends who see other things differently to me, and I don't think this is a, a reason to divide. Well, we've been talking
2: about one of those in- essential ingredients that you would include in your backpack, and that's the inexhaustible food supply. Mm. And uh, we've been talking about that as the Bible. Mm. Let's move on to a second, really essential mm. ingredient in your backpack: your emergency communication system. Yeah, and we call this prayer. Yes, uh, something you've been tackling for people who don't know anything much about faith at all and mm. answering the question, what even is
3: prayer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, these, now these three things, Neil, are the things that I would say you need You know, to show a new Christian or a novice Christian and a novice Christian could be someone who's been a churchgoer for decades but they've never actually been, we might use the word discipled or they've never been taught or trained in how to read their Bible, why um, the Bible is set up the way it is. And now we're talking about prayer. I mentioned before about having an emergency beacon. That's a form of communication. If you actually don't know how to use it, then it can be you know almost pointless. A lot of people see prayer, and this is where I would uh, want to explain to someone, prayer is not rubbing the lamp. It's not getting a genie to do what you want. Prayer is not where we're taking our... Uh, Our shopping list to God and saying God give me this do this for me In fact I would flip that equation completely Prayer is actually a a means by which we surrender to God We yield ourselves to God We align our will with his will And prayer the big thing that we learn from Jesus is, Is he says many people think they will be heard in prayer By their many long worded prayers And Jesus was very very clear that it's not long-worded prayers that get you over the line. In fact, when he stood in front of the tomb of Lazarus, he prayed a very short prayer. It went something like this, Neil. Father, I thank you that you always hear me. And that was it. And he just said, Lazarus, (laughs) come forward. And it's like, wow, if Jesus could pray a prayer that short and and the result could be that powerful, uh, uh, this tells us that, Whether prayers get answered or don't get answered is not a matter of how long they are. It's not a matter of using magic words. It's not even it's not a matter. This might be controversial. Some it's not a matter of saying in Jesus name even because you can actually be praying in Jesus name without actually saying those words. And this is where I think it's important to understand that prayer is essentially heart communication with God. We're taking calls on
2: 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Mike is in Tasmania. Hi, Mike. Welcome.
0: Uh, G'day. And first, Andrew, thanks for your good efforts on the Will Graham uh, function in Tassie along with other leaders. That's great news.
3: Thanks. Thanks, Mike.
0: And um, look, uh, about the Sabbath, you know, um, Romans chapter 14, verse 5 says, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day like each one shall be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day special does so to the Lord, etc. <laughs>
2: yep wonderful stuff Mike a good contribution there and uh, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316 we sort of tackled the Sabbath issue we're into talking through issues around prayer and interesting in your notes uh, what you've got Andrew is this thought that people mistakenly think of prayer as a way to control their gods Mm, mm. Uh, because you were saying you know you don't come with a shopping list Mm, mm, Uh, mm. God isn't the big God with the you know the eternal vending machine. Mm. Um, the way we think of prayer, not about controlling God. Mm. In actual fact, if we come back to what we were saying earlier about the Bible, it's about what God has given to us. So it's about
3: discovering God's thoughts rather than trying to control Him. Yeah, and I think this is the this is where I, a lot of people who perhaps have become disillusioned in their minds with Christianity have become disillusioned because they'll say things like this: "I prayed." And nothing happened. Well, if you want a prayer, which I would almost guarantee is is something is going to happen, then pray some of the prayers that Jesus encouraged us to pray. One of them would be what we call the Lord's Prayer, um, which includes uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So, it, it, So if we take even that line out of that prayer, your will be done, you start to pray a prayer like this, God, have your way in me. Have your way in me It's a very simple prayer Have your way in me And let's see what happens In fact there might be people who say Well I don't even know if there is a God Then I would encourage you to, to pray the, the prayer of Psalm 34 It says uh, taste and see that the Lord is good And that that could sound like a prayer it says God I don't even know if you're real But if you are reveal yourself to me And see what happens Because those are the kinds of prayers that the Bible says Will be answered Because Jesus said seek And you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. And it was in the context of coming into a relationship with God.
2: In this very, very basic understanding of prayer, Andrew, the thought that no matter what you pray, a simple prayer will Encourage your heart and something, I guess, is happening spiritually, but your recognition that you, because you have this communication with the Creator, that you realize that you're not alone
3: on this journey. Absolutely. And this is where the, you the, know, that is such a profound point that oftentimes the Christian is living with something they take for granted. They, we we get in a, a particular pickle and we cry out to God because we know our Heavenly Father has unconditional love for us And this is a part of the story that Jesus told About the the father of the, what we call the prodigal son And that, that prodigal son could wander away But he knew he could still come back to his father And prayer is one of those means by which we, we connect with our loving heavenly father Who has unconditional love for us and again, it, your, your prayer doesn't have to be complicated. You don't need long-winded prayers in order to connect with God. And sometimes the, I, there's a, an article that I've written on my on my blog, AndrewCorbett.blogspot, where I talk about divinely precious triplets, and that they are the three-word prayers that are recorded in Scripture that sound something like this, God, help me. Lord, save me. Um Please heal her. Those very, very short prayers were are, are recorded in Scripture. I think they tell us something that prayer doesn't have to be this really complicated thing. It's talking from your heart to God with a heart that wants to be yielded to him. And when we begin to think that, no, uh, prayer is something that I can now control God, you, you're actually starting from the wrong basis. You're packing the wrong thing in your Christian backpack for this journey. You've got the inexhaustible
2: food supply in your backpack. It's the Bible. You've got your emergency communication system. It's prayer. Let's move on to the third one in just a few moments. Uh, It'll be about our shelter. But before we do, why don't we take another call? Wendy is in Casino in New South Wales. Hi, Wendy.
0: Hello. Uh, Yes, I'm... Actually, with my story that was on um, on the journey on the uh, sorry the story this morning at half past nine. Wonderful. um, And I told that story uh, about my prayer when I was a prodigal daughter, and my prayer simply was, "If there's a Lord, a God out there, I need help." And Mm -hmm. from that time on, he um, he he just put Christians in my path all the way along and it still took two a couple of years before i you know came back and was born again but um the fact was it didn't seem like it. He, he was answering the prayer straight away but he did uh, as as over time and of course i ended up becoming you know born again christian but i love what what um, this man's been talking about as well because I said, you know, my journey at university. Um, I'd arrived at university with um with no knowledge at all about God, and yet I'd been a Sunday school teacher for five years, and and you know the church I was in just never taught me anything about. Um, about how uh, apologetics and I, I was an easy target and I, and Wendy, I lost my faith within we have two to, hours We
2: yeah. have to keep coming back to these basics don't we? Otherwise we can feel like all of these things that are so important I feel like I haven't learned them mm. and when you pray a desperation prayer uh, God answers that too because as you're describing Wendy he sends people on your pathway and I know Andrew you call them travelling companions mm. uh, that go alongside with the journey that mm. you are on. A thought or two for Wendy?
3: Uh, Wendy, thank you. And I, I actually enjoyed listening to your story this morning and I, I know your son very well. So thank you for your, your wonderful comment. And it is a journey and this is the thing that you can be in a church and people can just assume that you know about the Bible, that you you can deal with the, the so-called apparent contradictions or you can deal with this, the apparent Conundrums of you know how can there be a good all-powerful God when there's evil in the world Surely if he was all-powerful he would deal with it or if he was all-good he would deal with it Either he's not all-good or he's not all-powerful or he's neither And the the Christian who's been trained to read and understand God's word can deal with that very readily As you've just pointed out so thank you for that And I think prayer too is, is just one of those absolutely essential things that we, we learn how to connect with God in prayer. And the final thing is is the shelter, Neil. That 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 this is the Bible talks about being a part of a community and it describes that community as a house, as a temple, as a building. And it says that we ourselves become living stones in that in that thing, in that building of, of, of connecting. One of the essential things to to going and continuing on this journey with Christ is is this horrible word, humility. And the Bible actually encourages that for every believer to be their goal. I've never, Neil, I've never met anyone when I've said, what are your goals in life? I've (laughs) never met anyone who has said my number one goal is to be humble. I've never met it. But the Bible actually says over and over and over you should be humble. And one of the reasons why we don't want to connect with the church, and it's not everyone's reason, is because there, there are sometimes there are people that want to, uh, that, well, they don't necessarily want to, but they might irritate us, or they or they might challenge us, or we might feel inferior to them, or we might just simply not like them, and that can make a church a very very difficult experience for some. In which, in in those instances, I would be. I'd be reverting to the emergency communication system. God, put me among people who I can be cared for who and who I can care for as well and, and help me to connect in with that church because it is absolutely essential. There is no divorcing following Christ from being a part of a local church of believers. There is no such thing in the Bible as someone being an autonomous, independent, disconnected, christian they you have to be connected into with a church if you if you're not in a church where you are being fed taught protected shepherded and cared for then i think that in that that right there neil invites a prayer wendy i want to say
2: thank you so much uh wonderful insights as always and one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen 316 316 to join in our conversation uh the sorts of people that God brings across our path those traveling companions. Interesting the way you're talking about this, Andrew, is if we've got a backpack on our back, uh, somehow or other there might be in there or on there a tent, Hmm. uh, and it's the sort of thing we think is going to give us shelter. But Hmm. you're talking about what... Uh, Paul shares Mm. about being built together as living stones,
3: a temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's right. Your tent can, you know, to use the metaphor, your tent can connect with another tent to make a bigger tent and you become, you know, sometimes we we go, well, I I don't want to go to church because I didn't get anything out of it. But the other side of that equation is we need you to go to church because there's someone who needs your input into their life. And this is where ministry, in other words, what we are able to contribute when we go, a smile, a a word of encouragement, uh, even when, and maybe there are people who can relate to this, you hear the preacher and he's not doing so good and he might need you to pray for him right about there. And so you're a part of the the whole team of church and that's really, really important. And so this is, yeah, I, I think also... When you're with a group of people as you're traveling on a journey, a journey to know Christ, to be shaped by Christ, to have Christ deal with the issues of our heart, perhaps to help us to be able to learn how to forgive, learn how to do life and relationships together, that it's it's in that journey that Christ has ordained that his followers are connected one with the other. It's absolutely critical to this journey, I think, Neil. So we
2: want, when we go to a local church, to be welcomed, to be accepted, and to belong. What you're saying here is, the shoe is on our own foot mm. because we're the ones who need to be welcoming and accepting and helping others to belong because yeah. that's the way you in some level of humility yeah. uh, help church to yeah. function.
3: Yeah. I think you know there's in in the gospels we read that Jesus uh, opened the scroll on the Sabbath in in the synagogue. He read from the prophet Isaiah and he he was reading from that portion where Talked about the acceptable year of the Lord. He sat down and then he said these words <laughs> as he after he gave the scroll back to the attendant. He sat down and he said in, to all the congregation there, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your midst. Now, up until then, they thought it was a pretty good scripture reading. And the moment he said that, they, they grabbed him, they dragged him out of the synagogue and they took him to the brow of a cliff ready to throw him off. And he walked through and they didn't get to throw him off. But the amazing thing is a couple of verses after that, it says uh, it was the Sabbath and Christ was in the synagogue as was his habit. Now, I don't know how many people would be back in church the Sunday after the congregation tried to throw you off a cliff. But the point there is that Christ was establishing something for his followers that we, we have to connect in with people who aren't going to throw us off a cliff for a start and with whom we know we are needed, and they need that we need them as well. So there's that that mutual support that you give each other, and this is what church is meant to be about. And 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 I know that that's not everyone's experience, but I'm I just think we need to pray. Um, if you're not having that experience, that God plants you where you can flourish and where you can enjoy this journey with Christ you're talking about
2: being planted in a spiritual home and it's interesting because sometimes we think of home as a place where we are accepted and we do belong mm. uh, it's not just somewhere we're visiting mm. uh, it's it's somewhere we're actually planted mm. where we're sheltered protected nurtured and nourished yes Uh, so the church that you're a part of needs to fulfill those needs and Mm. you need to recognize what your part is in fulfilling those needs in others
3: yeah absolutely so paul uses in ephesians 2 i think it's verse 19 he describes the church as a household the household of god and we read that and we think oh that's that's wonderful sort of poetic sort of language but the reality is the household was a unit of people in the greco-roman world And a household usually accommodated the householder. And often the householder, when the apostles planted churches, the householder became the chief elder in that church, along with other householders who connected in with him. And that household, as I looked into this, my study showed that a Greco-Roman household could actually accommodate up to 100 people and sometimes more than 100 people. And they would have a big courtyard, there were often servants involved, there were grandparents on both sides, there were aunts, there were perhaps unmarried aunts, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, and so it was a real big family gathering, but it was also a place that was always reserved for guests to come, where they could be accommodated, they could be looked after, and it was also a place where, the interestingly, the, the typical Greco-Roman household had uh, windows that faced the street, and those windows would come up. And that would be the place where they sold their wares. It could be food that they'd made or leather goods or craft or whatever. And so it became a place where people contributed to the to the welfare and the wealth of that household as well. And Paul is using that language to say this is what the church is. The church is the household of God. It's a place where there is a, a clear a, a leadership structure. There's a place where there's mutual care. It's a place where they come and they eat together and uh, and when you begin to understand the, the, the language that, that the New Testament uses to describe the church you begin to think man that that odd that looks like something I'd want to be a part of a place where you can come you're accepted you're wanted, you're valued, you're fed you're protected and you're
2: safe Well those three in important and essential things that you would pack in your uh, backpack as you're going on this trek of our Christian journey the inexhaustible food supply, the Bible your emergency communication system, prayer, and your shelter, which is your local church. Wonderful insights today and uh, always appreciate getting your great wisdom. Dr. Andrew Corbett. Andrew is the pastor at Legana Christian Church in northern Tasmania. He's also the author of several books. Let me mention a few of those. What is a Family and Why It Matters? the most embarrassing verse in the Bible, the most embarrassing book in the Bible, why Christians should get involved. And there's another book, Authentic, Apostolic Leadership, and then Five Proofs for the Existence of God. There's a lot there, and there's probably more uh, in your books too. Let me point listeners to a number of ways that you can connect with Dr. Andrew Corbett, who also is the National President of ICI, Theological College Australia. It's a theological distance education provider, and you can hear the style of communication that Andrew has. Just quickly, before we uh, just give those uh, those. Uh, web addresses, uh, the ICI College, people can
3: connect with you and find out more detail? Absolutely. So it, we offer courses in uh, Bible, theology, uh, ministry, uh, mission, and uh, education, and, yes, so we offer from certificates, diplomas, degrees, and master's degrees as well.
2: Okay, a number of webs- uh, websites to, to mention. There's icicollege.com.au to mm-hmm. connect there. Uh, FindingTruthMatters.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're on YouTube, Dr. Andrew C. Correct. Andrew Corbett.net, mm-hmm. uh, vimeo.com forward slash Dr. Andrew C. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned your blogspot site, andrewcorbett.blogspot. Mm-hmm. So did I get all those right?
3: Yeah, you did. So the blogspot is my <laughs> weekly letter to my church. So I, I post that on a couple of different sites, but that's the one where it goes public to for the world to read. So, yes, that's a pastoral letter to my church that
2: I write every week. And if you're visiting Tassie, drop into Lagana Christian Church, about 15 minutes north of Launceston. Andrew, thank you so much for taking some time to
3: share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Neil, an absolute pleasure, as always, to be with you, especially face-to-face.
4: Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.